when he created a human being to be able to walk with him. Somehow this weekend, I'd like to bring our minds back to that. You know, uh, there are various contributing factors why Christians in the U.S., in the North America, don't tend to make their Christianity their all in all. I don't know what all it might be in our hearts, but it certainly is a tendency. And it's one of the main reasons that churches lose their faithfulness. You know, I'm not yet 50 years old, but I've seen a few things in my life. The Bible talks about those things and the end times, and it looks to me like we, we're in the end times. And one of the things that the Lord gives as a key to end time faithfulness, I think you'd find in Luke chapter 18, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And those who make the priority that I want to walk with the Lord every day of my life and keep that emphasis to seek to be molded in my character and in my person to be more the fruit of the Spirit coming out of my life. That's my burden. Is it proper to kneel for prayer around here? Let's kneel for prayer. Our Father in heaven, this evening, with joy and great gladness, we gather together with your people here in Kelowna, Iowa. Lord, I don't know where all else here in Kelowna, Iowa, there your people are, but I pray for a strengthening of your kingdom among your people in this place, wherever they found are found and wherever hearts are tender towards you, and wherever hearts and minds desire and look towards the God of heaven, the creator, the redeemer, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for remolding my heart. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you're able to save to the uttermost. When I look back, Lord, at my sinfulness and the terrible things that I've done, in my body, God, if it weren't for your redeeming grace and your saving power and the blood of Jesus that washes away sin, I could tremble tonight, Lord, to think of that Christless eternity and that terrible life that would follow me to the pits of hell. God, I pray that my life could ever and always express a thankfulness to you for what you've done in me and Lord, the pit that you brought me from, I know that you can bring others from. And that you're able to transform and change into your likeness. Lord, even do it more fully in me. Oh Lord, I need you tonight. I ask, Father, for a continuing working and help all my responses ever and always to be humble and contrite and looking to you. Lord, uh, empty of pride and self-will and self-knowledge. Oh, Lord, I need this. I just ask that you would enable this evening that the word would come forth with power, with power and with clarity. And, Lord, that there could be uh, your spirit working in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name.
Well, the title of the message this evening is When Revival is Needed. When Revival is Needed. I want to thank each of you that's been praying. I uh, have felt the prayers. I uh, have uh, sensed in um, my meditations over there in Kentucky, have felt distinct things being impressed on my heart. And uh, I don't know that much about you all in the daily interaction and where you live, but I trust that the Lord does. And so we all need revival. I need revival. When revival is needed, I have four points this evening. Number one, when God doesn't mean much to me anymore. When God doesn't mean much anymore. Number two has to do with looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Number three, when casual Christianity is taking a hold on us. And number four, we no longer have an intense desire to be humble. So that's going to be the thrust of the four points here. In beginning, let's turn to Isaiah 57 and verse 15, a very beautiful verse here, when revival is needed. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Like to notice here that God promises revival. God promises revival. And those who live in the conditions that we want to talk about here in this verse, there's two conditions. Here, those that live in those conditions, they continually have revival. And that's a deep joy. We don't have to be down in the pit or down at the bottom and, and sins taking a hold on us again for us to want revival and need revival. But imagine with me uh, a plant that continually gets the water it needs every day. You know, it's not overwatered. It's not drowned to death as some of the fields seem like they have gotten uh, some this spring. But, but there's a, a, there's enough water there to revive and there's sunshine and and uh, this revival this water god has promised a continual revival i uh, i really struggle with the concept that you know we we uh, we fall we go down and and then we uh, again need to be encouraged and stirred up. You know, we feel all oh, excited in our emotions and, oh, we're fired up now until the thing fizzles down again. I, I struggle with that. That shouldn't be the picture of our life. But one who continually is watered by the grace of God in our lives. This is what I want. <clears throat> it says here that there is the kind of people that God is going to revive In the latter part of the verse, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, that's where God's going to live, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I don't know if you know what it's like to be just a bit discouraged. Probably you're human and know what that's like. You know what I always find when I feel a bit discouraged in my spirit? I don't have energy and vision. I just, 
You know, simple things. They just, ah, they feel wearying. But here, the Lord promises that to the condition of these two people, of these two conditions here, that he is going to revive their spirit and their heart. To the humble. The word humble here, as I looked it up, means to make humble or lowly in mind, to abase the pride of, to reduce arrogance and self-dependence. You ever feel that creeping up? That arrogance, self-dependence? It means to give a low opinion of one's moral worth, to make meek and submissive to the divine will. I think it was said of Hudson Taylor, as he was speaking in, in one place, <clears throat> um, that the person that introduced him um, introduced him as a, you know, quite a mighty servant of the Lord. And um, he stood there the man, when uh, Hudson, I think it was Hudson, when he came up to, to speak, he just stood there for a minute and, uh, and looked at the crowd and he said, actually, I'm the lowly servant of an amazing God or, or of an amazing prince or something like that. There wasn't this uh, self-will in this self-dependence, this humble and lowly in mind. Wouldn't that make a beautiful brotherhood if that presence were there in a brotherhood? The word contrite here means literally bruised or worn. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think, do I need to be going through those things that bruise me and wear me? Really? Something that's bruised or worn? Is very tender to the touch. Uh, we were traveling over here, and uh, she didn't know that she'd get used. Uh, but Eva was trying to pick a pick a um, sliver out of her hand, and she's picking away. And this thing's sort of tender, you know. And she says, "Well, she said I got part of it, but I can't tell which direction the other part of it goes. And you know, I have to dig so deep to get it. But that place was rather tender. If we maintain a tenderness before the Lord." That's the kind of heart that the Lord delights to revive. One that's tender. And I don't think we need to be going into the depths of sin and, and just all out sinful for that place to be able to come tender and soft. <clears throat> Literally bruised or worn, hence broken hearted for sin. Deeply affected with grief and sorrow for having offended God. Humble and penitent. I think of one whose conscience has become sensitive again. We want revival that puts a spring in our step and a fire in our heart, a vision before our eyes for what God really wants. Usually it comes by cleansing out what, he, what has taken that first place in our hearts. He promises here to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. But if we would have him do his part, we must do our part. I don't know if you noticed those words there in Isaiah 57, verse 15. I dwell in a high and lofty place. Holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We have as a family been... Um, being very blessed, and maybe I've been more than others, with a devotional book written by Howard Bean. I don't know if you have fruitful families. And um, yes, it's the first time of us walking through 
a book like that, and the fruit of the Spirit and the depths of character, of Christian character, that are expected from the child of God that has the presence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life, the meekness, the humility, the patience, how I need that. And the Lord, as I see this verse here, basically is describing a person that dwells in his presence that has a continually watering in his life. When do we need revival? We need revival when, number one, God doesn't mean much to me anymore. You know, there's not much worship in my heart or in your heart. We come in here and sit and sing, but the heart is empty. Revival is needed when that's taking place. When the heart is empty, there's not much connection there. Maybe entering into thy closet and praying to the Father in secret seems empty. Is your closet empty on a regular basis? Do you find that your closet is not entered into much anymore? You know, the saints of old had a very regular practice of praying morning, noon, and night. We read about them. We read how God dwelt with them. We read how God worked with them and how God used them. What about your place of prayer? I think of this verse over here. In, um, well, I had it earlier. I want to say it's in Luke 15. But where um, Jesus had cleansed the, ta- uh, the temple and he cast out those that were buying and selling there. And um, they were told that my house is going to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And I think of that place where we go in to pray, into that secret place. Maybe we're kneeling beside our bed and all the work wants to come crowding in. It's wanting to buy and sell there. In that place when God should be that focus. It's wanting to make uh, uh, some kind of progress in our own world, of our own things. Rather than entering in and speaking to our Father which sees in secret. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. For a very familiar scripture here. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 it says. Jesus said unto him verse 36 says. As one who came and asked master which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said unto him thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. This is the first and great commandment. But is the first and great commandment empty? Is there that urge? That desire? That desire to meet with God, to tell Him all my heart's secrets, to implore Him for help in the accomplishments that He would have us to accomplish? Or is there a going through the motions? <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, when people pray, you can uh, get a little glimpse into what's in their hearts. And uh, it's always bothered me when I hear somebody go to pray, and the person maybe when they're talking to you, they... Um, 
they're very articulate and they explain exactly what's on their heart or their mind and you know they and but when they come to pray the words almost run over the, themselves and it seems so uh, almost insincere it it's um uh, father we thank you for this uh, day and we thank you to, everything's gone so well and uh, you know and we just want to thank you for the food right now and uh, you know and uh, the, these things and I'm, my heart is saying oh wait a minute that sounds very empty what about singing a song? And the song has actually, you know, punctuation that does not sound worshipful. And I've told some people already, so well, I'm glad that you're not singing my praises in that tone of voice or in that way. It doesn't sound worshipful or, or full of awe. It sounds empty and, uh, you know, rather a little bit rude or sarcastic. When God doesn't mean much to us anymore. When the music we want to listen to wants to move the body instead of the heart and the soul. Worshipful music doesn't, doesn't move your body. Central music does. I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm sound in saying that. God wants to move the heart through worship. But does God mean much to you anymore? <clears throat> I was going to bring an illustration with me, and I failed to. And I like to preach with this illustration. It's, a, it's, like, a, uh, it's like an index card, <clears throat> and on it it says, my ticket. And you just imagine that I have my ticket here. I've got my ticket in my pocket, and we'll just use this tissue instead. My, t- my ticket, you know. And a lot of people live their Christianity. Yeah, I had this experience back there. I know that God took away my sins, but it's just sort of been ho-hum ever since then. Yeah, I checked my pocket. I still have my ticket. Yeah, when that day comes and, and the, the, it play, the plane leaves for the sky, if you will, I got my ticket. That's not how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. This is not what's reflected in loving the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and thy strength. It sounds to me like this person who is walking in obedience to this first commandment makes their Christianity and their walk and their desire to please God their all in all. Oh God, give us such. Give us such young, young people. Give us such older people. One of the burdens I have on my heart this morning or this weekend and for this, this weekend, this evening here, just mention it, is the question, is your church making leaders? And I, I didn't plan to come here with that message. The Lord just, I don't know what's happening here, but the Lord kept laying that on my heart. But I'm telling us here tonight that if this first commandment is not first and foremost on our heart for us to walk with God day by day, we're not going to produce leaders in this church. The leaders that are here do not have enough energy or capacity to raise up leaders if those things are not in this congregation. Well, does God not mean much to you anymore? Has his suffering on the cross for you lost its tender place in your heart? You know, the farther we go in life, the more we need his care and watchfulness in our lives. The greater is our potential to create a disaster. Why would we ever come to such a place where he does not mean much to us? You know, I'm realizing as my life goes on, the potential to make a shipwreck, to make a train wreck, 
of my life and those around me, that potential continues to increase. You know, now I have daughters-in-law, sons-in-law. We have grandchildren. How are those relationships? How are things flowing in the church? And yeah, it, it just, it just, how could I ever come to the place where uh, God wouldn't mean much to me anymore? The Lord says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. That sounds to me almost like the promise that God made to Solomon. Ask what you want. What is it you want, Solomon? I want wisdom. It'll be given to you. And the Lord was so pleased. And there are New Testament uh, 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 answers and New Testament uh, promises that are made in this light for us. What a glorious promise. But what are the conditions? He said, abide in me with humility and being contrite. That was point number one. We need revival when God doesn't mean much to us anymore. When is revival needed? When you're not really looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. Turn to Hebrews 11, 8 and 9. I have been convicted. And stirred in my heart. That's Hebrews 11, 8 through 19, rather. I've been convicted and stirred in my heart as I began to ponder how much do I look at entering into the gates of glory? How much do I anticipate it? Is this life and is the church here and now and is the church in the future, is that completely taking up the zenith of my mind and my focus and my energy and my anticipation? Is the church here and now, is God's kingdom here and now, oh, it should take up an enormous part of it. But this isn't the end, brothers and sisters. One of the visions that a church needs to have as a body is that we walk together with God as we walk together that we might journey on to eternity together and enter into those pearly gates together. We won't likely all go off the belt of time, if you will, using that illustration. But that should be our aim. As we get together and as we fellowship together, guess what? These brothers and sisters that are true brothers and sisters that enter in faithfully at that that great day. I'm not implying that anybody's not. I'm just saying those that are going to end up in, that's who you and I are going to spend eternity with. We probably better make the most of it here. Let's prepare with relationships here and now that are going to be conducive to that great day when we enter in and are a family of God together. No ending. That's one of the visions that the church presently still needs to have. And as I think of going on towards eternity, you know, we stopped at the arch today. We didn't manage to get up in there. But that took some phenomenal engineering. But you know what? That city that is four square. It has 12 foundations and 12 doors that I, uh, I just don't remember what the dimensions of that place are anymore, uh, according to the biblical description, but it's enormous. Streets of gold, every gate of pearl, I believe it says. This place, you're talking about structure now. And people, for sin, would miss the place? God has been preparing such a place 
And Abraham got a glimpse of it and saw it in his heart in the days when he walked and tented in Canaan. Let's read the passage. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. I want to come back to that verse. But Isaac and Jacob and Abraham did all three at the same time. According to the years of Abraham's life, they dwelt together in tents. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly country a heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac Shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Here we have uh, one of the longest sections concerning one man and his family of any section in Hebrews 11 here. Let's look at verse number 9 and 10. Here the Hebrew writer tells us what kept Abraham going for a hundred years. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You tonight, has this city been on your heart? Have you been anticipating it? It says to set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you set your affection? Well, one of the ways is to eagerly anticipate going there. Eagerly anticipate going there. Do you think about going there? Or does the pursuits of this life fill the horizon of our life? Is this life, you know... Uh, I know that we're going to die someday and the time will come when we'll move on and, and everything. But the scripture says that he died and was gathered to his people. Do you have people on the other side that you anticipate coming to see again? Getting to see again. People whose faith you're following. Here Abraham dwelt in tents. For a hundred years, Abraham was uh, one hundred. I mean, he was seventy-five years old when he came into Canaan, and he was one hundred and seventy-five years old when he died. I think Abraham would have been one hundred and sixty years old when 
Jacob and Esau were born. You see, in the chronological account, in the account as it gives it, Abraham's life comes to the end. Isaac and, ja- Isaac and um, Ishmael bury him, and life continues on following. But if you go by the years, and how old Abraham was when Isaac was born, and how old Isaac was when uh, Jacob and Esau were born, and it doesn't surprise me that something connected in Jacob's heart of value and desire that had to do with what was on his grandpa's heart. And then we see Joseph, who lived such a tremendously faithful life in face of temptation and face of all kinds of things. It says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All those years, Abraham could have gone to a city and dug in. Sodom had houses, strong enough houses, that when the men of the city gathered around and were going to do harm or wanted to do evil with the angels that were there, they pulled Lot in and closed the door, and the men of the city weren't able to open that door. They were struck with blindness, no less. But I'm just saying that there were places with foundations and with a, a place where you could root in and get a little secure. But Abraham continued to go from one place to another place another place and he lived in tents all of his life but this man put a specific limitation in his life every time the wind rocked his tent around Abraham thought of that city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God have you set any limitations in your life that help you stay focused. I think we need to. There are some things we need to settle in our hearts, in our lives, and I'm not going to say what all that might be. They sojourned in a land of promise, moving from place to place. While he believed God's promise about Canaan, his hope was way beyond Canaan. Abraham, Acts says that God didn't give Abraham so much in his lifetime as to set the sole of his foot on. Though he was promised the whole land, he didn't experience it himself. And so amazing, he began to look beyond Canaan for a city. Have you focused on that city? Okay, in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. It's speaking of Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. He was... Put in a coffin because he expected God to fulfill his promise in Canaan yet. But these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. How strong was their faith? They saw them afar off and they were persuaded of them and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, I come from a family. Our roots got pretty deep and strong. Some of the strongest conflict and difficulty I had with my father were when we believed the Lord would have us to move to Kentucky. My father had put a lot of work into 
establishing his sons. And I'll leave that wherever it is. But it made it pretty easy to get rooted down and not actually have that expectation of that city and that hope. But these here, they embraced promises that had to do with the future. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When you get, you and I get about so rooted into the earth, it's a little hard for us to confess that and hold our things with open hands and allow the Lord to touch them if he'd like to and allow the Lord to move us to sell, to move, to relocate. I don't know what God wants of you, but I want to know that he wants every one of us to live these ideals. Confess, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here. When we moved from Tennessee to Kentucky, I'm just trying to get, bring things a little into perspective. In February, we made our last payment on our home property that in February and moved in September. And I drove away with a groan. I thought inside, why did we work so hard to pay something off just to harden our hearts and get in the vehicle and drive out the road, not even being able to sell it? Because it was tied up in the family at that time. So why? Was it worth all the effort? We have to leave it. We can't stay here, brothers and sisters. This life here is transitional. We have to leave it. Some leave it very quickly. Others pass away on the deathbed. And I'm uh, very thankful to have stood beside my father's bed and had my, his hand in one of my hands and I laid my other hand on top of his head and said, Dad, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, there are no issues between you and I. My heart was completely clear. And some of that had to do with apologizing for having been disrespectful in the midst of conflict. Looking for a city. Well, God's promises were reality to them. They saw them, they were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed. They were strangers and pilgrims. Are you confessing plainly that you seek a country? Revival is needed when that country begins to get dim. You know, as we looked at that... um, that arch today, it's phenomenal. There are a lot of people there. There are so many people there that we would need to wait nearly two hours to be able to get a chance to go up, uh, up in the top of that thing. And how many people are missing that heavenly city and the architecture and the glories that God has been preparing that have not entered into the heart of man? Are you willing to make the changes necessary to bring that city back into view? Number 16, verse 16 here. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Is God ashamed to be called your God because of the values and lifestyle that you have chosen or that I have chosen? Is God sort of embarrassed? You know, years ago, I heard a brother say that that um, he thinks there ought to be enough clarity in uh, church that uh, we wouldn't be embarrassed to uh, 
acknowledge to a stranger when we see a brother in town. We shouldn't be, you know, that uh, we're uh, together enough that, um, yeah, we're, we're of the same heart. We're together enough. But is God inwardly, does he cringe by the way that we live and the values that we set? And we say, he's our God. We're going to his city. Is God ashamed? He was not ashamed to be called Abraham's God. And he was preparing for them a city. If you're looking for that city, your investments will be made there. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. <clears throat> I remember John D. Martin telling a story many years ago of um, two men that lived down the road from each other. And one was very well-to-do and the other was not so well-to-do. And, and uh, the not-so-well-to-do died first. And this is in the light of the whole thing of sending treasure on ahead. And, and there are uh, plenty of ways to do that still. And um, anyway, the man that was not so well-to-do died and um, was buried. And sometime later, as the story goes, um, his other, the other neighbor died. And uh, he also uh, was walking down the streets of glory. And well, here he sees his neighbor in front of this elaborate mansion. And uh, he greets him, hails him. And oh, they come over there and they start talking. And he says, is this place your place? And he says, yeah. He says, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? And he says, well... He said, if you got this kind of place, what did I get? And the angel was there, and he says, uh, I'll show you. And so he took him there in an out-of-the-way place, just back there over there, just a few boards nailed together. And he says, the rich man said, there's got to be some mistake. And he said, sir, I could only build with what you sent ahead. And it's a true principle in the word of God, that laying up treasure in heaven. And there's various ways, and that's not the focus of our, uh, of our message here this evening. But we can be busy taking today's opportunities and making investments in heaven. And first of all, in walking with God and uh, contributing. There are many needs, especially the Bibles for the world. Um, there are a tremendous lot of people that are longing for a Bible that don't have a Bible. And there are statistics that uh, Christian aid ministries say that about so many Bibles that are given, every Bible uh, average about three people come to the Lord per Bible given. And you can buy them for $2 a piece. Anyway, it's a subject for another time. They were looking for that city. <clears throat> in verse 17 through 19 here, we have the account of how Isaac was offered up. And even it didn't make sense because Isaac was the son of promise. But looking for the city that God was building made him able to trust God with his most prized earthly treasure, his only son. Abraham was totally yielded to God. And he had reasoned it out that if God tells me to kill him, then God will raise him back up from the dead. From whence he received him in a figure. He looked for a city. Do you think Abraham regrets his focus tonight? Do you think he regrets it? I don't think so. Have you been eagerly looking for that city? Will you commit before God tonight to refocus your priorities? Abraham kept a hundred-year focus. Can you keep one for 50 years? Can you keep a 50-year focus? What about 30? 20? Can you keep a focus? Let's go from 20, 30 to 50. Keep a focus for 50 years. Do half of what the Old Testament saint Abraham did. 
Number three, we need revival when casual Christianity is getting a hold of you. In 1 Peter 1, the book of Peter is a very precious book here. 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. See, here's a letter from a man who walked with the Lord Jesus. A bold man. A man who had to relearn a bunch of things. A man who needed to be redirected. And here we have from his pen a translated letter. In 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your Ignorance. Notice here's some former lusts in ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We need revival when casual Christianity is getting a hold of you. In verse 14, when the fashion of ignorance in our society begins to be adopted by the church then casual Christianity is getting a hold of you. When the word of God is not taken anymore by the young sisters, young brothers over here, and say, well, you know, I know dad and mom have been telling us and teaching us all these years principles that have to do with modesty and separation from the world. What's that all about anyway? Can I make it my own? I know they've been trying to get it in me. Can I make it my own? Oh, where's some verses? Uh, Mom, Dad, uh, could you give me some verses that I could study so I could make this part of my Christianity so I don't walk into ignorance of our society, the ignorance of unregeneration to where I can make this my own and explain it to my friends. My friends can't tell me either. Oh, would to God that the ignorance of our former conversation. I came from a time and a place where my family left the old orders when I was about 10 years old. Mom and dad ceased to agree which direction of life to go. And there was a division in our home. And by the time I was 19 years old and came to the Lord, we were pagans in many ways. I wore T-shirts every day, tight jeans. I run around on a motorcycle, sometimes without a helmet. I listened to country music. Beatty music. Hank Williams Sr. was my favorite. Don Williams and his suggestive. Now I'm just. Sometimes I think uh, the folks of this generation think with well, that old fogey. He doesn't even know what society. He doesn't even know what a sinful life is. I know what a sinful life is. I was in moral bondage committing sins. 
God kept me from sinning with any other persons. But my sins were plenty. Movies? When I began to repent, going down to Woodbury, Tennessee, heard those messages. Many a Sunday I trotted up and repented of something else in my life. And then the grief in my heart when young people that I associate want to go back to the beating music. And you about can't keep video entertainment out of the church. And I say it looks like the lust of ignorance. My oldest brother is married, divorced, remarried. Another of my brothers married to a divorced woman. We were at a birthday gathering. Leaving there, I told my wife, they're heathen. But is our society and the pressures pulling us, pulling us? Don't be conformed to the lust of that ignorance. God wants a holy people who rejoice to be modest and separated unto God with all their hearts unashamedly. And the casual Christianity doesn't need to get a hold of you. I wasn't planning on telling you all these things. But I feel strongly about them and I think I have a right to. God calls us here in verse 15 to be holy and we identify with him. Holy has to do with purity. We live in a very impure world. Can you have lust in your heart and salvation too? Something I was reading recently by someone who has helped many people um, work through the lusts of their, uh, lusts of their lives. And he said that uh, particular sensual sins do indeed make a person to be empty. And we're talking about God not meaning much as we were talking earlier there. Well, the lusts of this world make a person to feel empty inside. But they also spring out of emptiness. This word holy has to do with being pure inside and being restored to where we can actually love God and love one another and have relationships one with another in a beautiful godly way and an enriched way. I would say that the things that God has done in my wife and I's relationship gives us a capacity to love each other and to walk together in a deeper connected way than we ever did when we started out. <clears throat> But holy also has to do with separation. I'll just read you a verse here. Uh, time is running away from me. I'm thankful when the clock puts pressure on me. Revelation 18 verse 4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Every person that wants to walk with God at some point, has to come out. He says here, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. The true Christian cannot keep himself alive without separation. Casual Christianity wants less and less separation from the world. 
You know, Lot got more and more absorbed till he would have burned in the overthrow had it not been for separated Abraham. Abraham up there on the lonely hills understood more about the pearl that Lot was in down there in Sodom than Lot had any idea of. And Abraham stood there before the Lord and made petition for the, his nephew Lot down there. I'm telling you what happens between those that are serious about their separation unto God and those that continue to drift. It looks to me like Lot lost everything. He lost his wife. In a real way, he lost his, all his posterity. His grandchildren, who were also his children, were associated with paganism. And ours will be too. If there's not a serious heart separation unto God. God is worthy. He is a jealous God. Even the same as our mates are jealous. Our mates would not be happy to find us standing over there in a corner and flirting with some other person. There would be a jealousy that rises up. And God is a jealous God. And casual Christianity where it's sort of not so hot inside the heart. God is very concerned about it. Casual Christianity is a very deadly disease. Why? I'll give you four reasons here. It is rooted in pride. Casual Christianity is rooted in pride. Self-sufficiency. You find it alluded to in the last church, in the Laodicean church, in the book of Revelation. The Lord says, because you're lukewarm. You find it alluded to there. But it has its root in pride. How do I know? People that are involved and get pulled into the direction of casual Christianity are very concerned about personal appearance and personal reflection, how people are perceiving me. I don't want to look too radical. I don't want to sound too radical. I sure wouldn't say praise the Lord in the service. I just, you know, yeah, just in self-admiration. Just read you a verse here in Proverbs 15. Very serious here. Proverbs 15 and verse 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Here we have somebody that's very self-sufficient, capable, and pride expresses itself in very many ways. And they have a widow that's vulnerable. A widow that, you know, you could just probably take advantage of. The Lord says, no, actually I'm going to establish her border. You're not going to violate it and get away with it. But the proud, he destroys their house. That sounds like family. And many times, households that get this root of casual Christianity, a whole of that family, there is little that stops it. Point number two, casual Christianity is a very deadly disease. Why? Number two, it allows a person to have a false spirituality because it is so like the devil to have spiritual talk without holiness. Number three, it is a leaven that permeates people groups that focus on an experience, emotions, and feelings instead of a new man 
that lives in nonconformed obedience to the word of God. When I say nonconformed, I'm talking about nonconformed to this world. Why do I have so much to say in this? Because it's a big issue. It's a big issue. Talking with a man who brought some supplies to the shop. And it was after hours and I waited for him and we unloaded. And I says, uh, where do you feel like you are with the Lord? And he says, well, I'm good. And I says, uh, how do you, what, what do you mean? Well, he says, how do you believe a person needs to be saved? And I said, you need to repent of these sins and believe on the Lord Jesus. Ah, it's the same with me. And I said, an amendment of life. The life needs to change. Oh, yeah. And then he wanted to butter us up. What all y'all have and what all, but I said, well, what about you? You know, and he didn't want to talk about him. And as long as we have that, you know, we repented of sins, the gross sins, those things maybe over there. And another friend of mine, a cousin of mine <clears throat> in another, actually in Canada, he lives in Canada. He says, there's no way that I can keep the New Testament standard. There's no way that I can keep up and walk in the New Testament standard. Yes, he believes he's saved. Well, I don't know what all he's implying to. I'm just saying this. It's a leaven that permeates people groups that focuses on an experience. As long as you had an experience sometime on emotions and feelings instead of a new man that lives as the Lord Jesus would have him to live. You know, I've sat in Sunday morning services and had tremendous stirring in my heart and tremendous. Oh, it was so refreshing. And at the end of the service have an intense struggle with one of my brethren. The feelings of worship can be deceiving to me in that relationship with a brother. God wants a people that are holy, that follow him. Casual Christianity, it is a road that allows a person to live in nakedness immorality, divorce and remarriage, without devotion to God, without holiness, hateful and hating one another, and still insist that heaven is at my journey's end. The contract ones. And the heart of the humble, or I may have them switched around, I'm not for sure. Do we long for humility that God's grace might be poured out in our lives? You know, humility is one of the most powerful things in the life of a Christian. Why do I say that? It's because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And when you come with a petition, being humble before God, when you and I humble ourselves, it allows God to go to work. Humility is the essence of Christ-likeness. Pride is devilish. Does God still mean everything to you? If not, are you troubled with pride? Do you find yourself looking for God's city tonight? Do you find yourself setting your heart again to look for that city? You know, life is sort of just rolling on. You know, in the morning the schedule is going to be get up and go, you know, and... And well, tomorrow's Saturday, it may not be as much, but you know how we live our lives in a routine. We get in a groove here and, and you know, we're not expecting the Lord to come back next week. How would we live our lives 
And I'm not for haphazard living to where, you know, say, well, you know, let's just quit working. You know, Jesus is going to return anytime soon here and run up a bunch of debts and be a burden to... No, that's not the way the Lord intended for us to live at all. But to keep that heart for that city. That heart for that city. You know, I heard say about a man um, as he was buried and he died a sudden death. And the pastor, trying to console the little boy, he stood beside the little boy and he says... Son, I'm sure your daddy's in heaven. And the little boy says, I don't think so. And he says, why not? Well, he said, if my daddy was going to go someplace, he always talked about it and anticipated it. I never recall him saying anything about going to heaven. You're still looking for that city that God has built, whose foundations, his builder and maker is God. Has casual Christianity taken a hold on you? Will you come to Jesus tonight in humble brokenness? You know, it's not hard to go to heaven. Jesus died that we might have our sins forgiven, find peace with God, and make heaven our home. But there's a whole lot in this world that is pressing to keep us from going there. There's a whole lot in this world that is pressing to change our focus. Wrong responses, wrong interests. There's the snares of sin. I think our society is getting worse and worse all the time. It seems that way to me. And there's a host of sin are pressing hard. To draw thee from the skies. If you need revival tonight, I think I'll just let Brother Larry close however you see fit, Brother Larry. And may the Lord bless us together. I so much am refreshed as I think of renewing my own vision to keep walking with God and not allow the temporal pressures and desires and interests to turn my interest from him and his kingdom.